What up, TikTok? Hey, hope everybody's having a great Friday. Hey, don't let anything that's negative in your life dictate the rest of your life. Does that make sense? Hey, we all go through some hard times. We all go through some emotional stressors, maybe at work, maybe at home, whatever it may be. Don't let that dictate who you are and how you react to the rest of the things that life throws at you. Does that make sense? Like if you're feeling pissed off and angry all morning or all day, you're gonna take that energy and you're gonna present it to everybody else that surrounds you, your loved ones, your soldiers, whoever it may be. You're gonna use that negative energy and it's just gonna make everything worse. Try to be positive, pick something positive in life that's going really well, use that positive energy and let that dictate the rest of your day. We can harp on the negatives, we can harp on the bad things that are going on in life. It's not gonna help us. It's not gonna help us move forward. Stay strong, keep pushing, drive on. Happy Friday. What's up, Trash Talkers? Hitting you up this morning with a special promo on how to dress when you are doing PT in civilians, but you want everybody to know you're an army. This comes from the Buddy Beckwith fashion design of how to work out. So first, you can notice the RI panties. Not Ranger panties, but Ranger instructor panties. The green socks, the knee brace for the old guys. Don't forget the M-frames. Now the shirt, don't wear the trash talk shirt while you're running. This is just for the promo. You wanna put on like an 80 second shirt or like your favorite airborne shirt so everybody knows that you're a veteran. That's the most important thing. And you start with this stretch. Buddy Beckwith taught me this one. Ready to go. So, I'm walking out of the gas station and my co-worker, who's an old MP, but we still claim him, uh, and he has engaged the man in conversation. Not much for conversation with strangers, but he's got the he's got the tab, so. As I walk by, I say airborne, and the man responds with, and I quote, Oorah. So, after I instructed my coworker to slash every single tire before he put the car in gear, I looked for the biggest rock. Uh, as I crow hopped to throw it through his back window so he can stop posing as one of us, um, I actually wake up and realize that the man's ignorance had incapacitated me for a moment and I was daydreaming. I mean, because in that moment you got two options. I chose the third option and said, incorrect. That's an incorrect response. And I kept walking, the man said nothing and he pulled away. So you tell me. What is it, a stolen valor thing? No Marine's gonna have an airborne tab, and no paratrooper's gonna say, hitting oorah. So, you tell me, stolen valor. Hey y'all, I'm going to work. I left, babe, I left you too. On the, on the refrigerator. I love y'all, I'm gonna go. Hey, go get dressed. Get ready for school. You're doing great. Oh, he's chewing around, chewing along, chewing along. Shit! Bad guy! Stop! This is the Veteran Trash.
hosted by Nick, Dave, Joe, and Buddy. Real warriors making fun of other real warriors. Try to not get triggered. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by the Farkas Group at the Veterans Mortgage Source. Are you looking for a team you can trust for your mortgage needs? The Farkas Group is our trusted partner on the podcast. I serve with Zach, and he will definitely give you the best rate possible. Their goal is to educate veterans across the country on their earned VA home loan benefit. If you're looking to purchase or refinance your home, reach out to these guys. For competitive rates or any information you may need on obtaining a VA mortgage for your property, they are licensed in multiple states. If they are not licensed in the state that you live in, they will still give you the advice that you need and the rates you should be looking for. Boom. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 89 of the Trash Talk Hour. Shout out to our sponsor, Zach Farkas, with the Veterans Mortgage Source. You can check them out at Zach Farkas at vmsloans.com. 10th Mountain Whiskey. Check them out at 10thwhiskey.com. Type in VTT and get a discount. Special guest today is retired colonel and author Keith Nightingale. And today I'm joined by Nick buddy and joe happy saturday everybody hell yeah hell yeah Love. so so today Cheers. we're gonna um kick start the dumpster fire as usual with one of my favorite topics aliens okay ufos uaps whatever you want to call them so aliens. two three days ago the pentagon released a 1500 page report and it was uh specifically geared towards advanced aerospace uh, space threat identification program okay just came out. They're not claiming it's, you know, aliens, things of that nature, but they are talking about situations that happened with individuals who have seen these UFOs, UAPs, okay? And they specifically talk about abductions, and they say that abductions have happened, okay? People have scars on their bodies after these abductions, uh, radiation burns, paralysis, um, unaccounted for pregnancies, okay? Not shitting you guys, it's in the report and then brain damage as well. Again, this could be, you know, the Chinese, this could be the Russian, I don't know if it's the Russians because we see how the shit's going down in Ukraine. I don't think their technology is where it's at um, or where it needs to be, but, uh, or it could be Project Bluebeam, okay, which is a whole nother topic. I'm not really gonna get into that, but that's like some new world order conspiracy thing that the government oh. is planning to scare us all at some point to bring in the new world order, one world religion, one world currency, and so they're going to start scaring us with UFOs and aliens. I don't know. What's everybody's take on this? Buddy, what do you got? Okay. So I'm so glad you have I'm to start, lie, buddy. I didn't, I didn't read all of the report. It was 1,500 pages. I definitely didn't read all of the report. I got to page four. I got to the part where they're talking about radiation burns, pregnancies, and all that stuff. And the only thing that I could think from then on is where do you get lead condoms? Because I'm not trying to get <laughs> a radiation STD. Like these aliens are coming down and giving folks <laughs> STDs. Like that Dude, like you wait, you came all the way from a different galaxy just to burn somebody? Come on, guys. Like let's really talk about and like a year from now your spouse cheats on you and she can be like you know she becomes pregnant dude it was an alien you know? yeah, <laughs> I, can't, even, I, like, I can't help it alien <laughs> alien jody what happens, what happens alien jody show and like hey does dna come back and is your is the baby daddy and yeah uh -huh. <laughs> being come out together 
I don't know. I don't. Yeah, but on a serious uh, note, like, can you, you say that name again like, into the mic because you kind of came out a little broken there. Grocka. <laughs> That's like Chewbacca's brother or something. That was pretty good. French. I learned that in language school. But what's your take, buddy? What What is it? Is it Is it our technology, or is it actually something from a different planet? Um, I don't think that we have the technology to do any of the things that like we're still cloaking devices was one of them too. Cloaking devices, like Han Solo had a cloaking device. No ship that small has a cloaking. (laughs) Yeah, every every Jedi has. I think the problem with these, like the conspiracy thing, and thinking that the government, like we've all worked for the government. As soon as one private is involved, that conspiracy theory is blown. Because they can't keep their mouth shut. <laughs> well, this isn't even really a conspiracy. An this entire, is an entire yeah. Go- yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's a declassified report. Yeah. yeah, it's a declassified it's report, and then a long time. And it's been going like on said, the last the last three years. You know, they've been they've been more and more and more like you know, Commander Christian, the ones in California, with, they were following that TikTok shaped object that like dove into the water. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they were yeah, on that's what they were on Fox News, do, you know, like. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. it only my takes. Thing is, buddy, my it, thing is, go is, there, is there a good chance that if it is like the super awesome technology, that it's 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 not ours uh, and Chinese? That, uh, no, no, I don't. Aliens? Like I said, aliens or no? Yeah, let's go with aliens, aliens because aliens. people don't have the ability to keep their mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. Aliens, good, good take, buddy. I say aliens too. Yeah. Joe, what is your take? I, I I got to word four. Then, it can't be drugs fight. again this time, brother. Then, it can't be a, drugs. Then a, yeah. then a fight came on. Um, <laughs> man, I don't. How do you verify any of this? Like with with absolute certainty? Are we just giving an opinion? All right. Okay. Fine. There's probably aliens out there somewhere. I. But I'm mean, I'm, such, I'm a visual believer, uh, and I haven't seen shit, so it's You're really hard believer? for me. And, and 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 here's another thing. Uh Damn it! I just I just had it, and I was about to capitalize on it when Buddy was talking, and I, and I, I think you're getting it. scared of the report. Yeah, telepathic, telepathic yeah. aliens. Well, probably Joe's getting nervous. Got some radiation. Burn. <laughs> Are you pregnant, <laughs> Joe? Did you just get no, pregnant? No, damn it! Damn it! I had it, and I and I lost get? it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know how you verify any of any of these things, and you know, like. Now it's getting reported, okay? It's kind of like, I, you know, not to hurt anyone's feelings, but is it like the alien Me Too movement? Like, it, I was I was also assaulted by aliens, and it Actually, just takes too. one. Like Buddy says, it was probably a private that broke the news, and then all of a sudden people started coming forward. So, you know what, Dave? Probably something that we've never seen that I have no clue about is out there, and somebody's probably telling the truth, but... You know, once one comes out, then you have this, the Jesse Smollett's of the group, you know, who are going to come out and say, I, I was, was beat up by those guys. I was too. this, and it was aliens. So you never know. Like, I can't verify whether these reports are true and how well they've been vetted. So, yeah, I guess something's uh, out These there, reports were, for if, me, if it's, you, uh, if you read, uh, if you read the documents, everything, these were extremely vetted reports by, by the, by the U.S. government. So whether it's a scare tactic, you know, whatever it may be, but they, they definitely were. Does it vetted. say that someone was abducted and then came up mysteriously Multiple people, pregnant? according to the reports. Because uh, um, it's kind of gray brush details we're getting here. 
well, abductions and all that, they've talked about that, you know, for years, but this is actually, but in the report, they're saying people are saying they were abducted and then came up mysteriously pregnant. What does the baby look like? (laughs) I don't know. Right. Like, have they tested this baby? Cause I want to, I want to, I want to know. I mean, Um, there's there's probably thousands of other pages. Dave, if I may, can I go? I was going to let the guests go first. You want to let the guests go? I think I Sure, go ahead. I think I think Silver, the NBA, uh, the president of the NBA, he might be an alien. Has anyone ever seen that guy? Yeah, he's a little no, scary. He's creepy he, looking. It's possible. But all right, sir, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute my mic and stop sounding like an idiot. <laughs> sir, what's your take on all of this? Um, I had kind of an epiphany a number of years ago. <laughs> uh, you may recall we used to have in the first night vision goggle was the PVS five. Mm-hmm. Great big thing like a stereoscope went over you. That was our first uh, NVG. And we were out in the desert doing the training for the Iran rescue. And we had just been issued them. The only 300 that were in the entire U.S. military inventory. Distributed them to the pilots and uh, Delta and the other guys. And we were out in the boonies. And I put on the NVGs and fired them up. It's like midnight. And I look up and it's an incredible amount of stars you know you see a lot with your naked eye but then you put on the nvgs and it's just overwhelming yep yep you, know, you gotta kind of believe there's something out there we don't know about agree uh, agree place is just too big and the chances that somebody else somewhere could have the same good conditions that evolved us you believe have a very high probability of being there so you well know, said, sir. True. I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, I guess the Pentagon's finally starting to release the information that they probably had for years, and they're just bringing more to light. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Good input. Nick, what you got? All right. Now, this is something that I've dealt with with Dave since I've known him. Okay. <laughs> you always used to say it was all And this shit. goes back to and 2000 and like, you know, six. Sec- second that. No. He was my first team leader. I'll second that. Like, there's all these conspiracies that, you know, did you read this? Did you see that? And it's like, so he, he sends us on our group thread this week. And I was like, so I read this article. All right. Now, remember, when we talk about the media, all right, people who are writing for Huffington Post or Washington Post or whatever, Turning Point, they got to sell papers. Mm-hmm. All right. If they don't sell they don't get a job anymore, right? So when you read the report about these weird pregnancies, I'm going to tell you right now that there's a lot of people who have used this excuse long ago. I don't know (laughs) how it happened. Oh, okay. Like the savior to the majority of the world was born on a weird pregnancy. Okay, so we don't really know how Mary got pregnant. Touche. Was it aliens? Maybe. Okay. Did did Joseph use the alien card to save face with his family like mm-hmm. a long time ago? Did he did he claim aliens? All right. Uh, all I'm saying is is I've been telling Dave for years that you can read declassified reports from the government. Now there there are still some things blacked out, which you know Colonel Nightingale. I'll give you that. Well, you have said right? that. I, so I'll agree. you can go read the reports. Now yeah. this article was about a fifteen hundred page report, and he this dude spent about four paragraphs on it. Uh huh. Right. He probably should have had a little bit more if he read the whole damn report. 
Like I read the Mitchell report for steroids in baseball and wrote a 16 page paper on it. Hmm. All right. So it's like, you're like, you're uh, along with the Mitchell report. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. But Nick, the Mitchell report was, was also, only, only a couple hundred pages. The, you also go to the Yale, the Southeast. Uh, the Yale, so, I do go to the Yale, the Southwest UTEP. So Southwest, you have sorry, to, you sorry. have to. Did you argue that sports need steroids and that I we did, need to I let did, them just I juice did, up and go? I did argue. I did argue that the reason why it wasn't, hammered down by the previous commissioner to Bud Selig was because eh, there's some reports out of the Mitchell report that said that that guy is like, I don't care if these guys get bigger and stronger and stand the field longer because that's just more money. Right? So, again, it might or might not have been said. And my favorite part of all that, though, when you read the Mitchell report was President Clinton back in the day was warned. He said, one of his advisors came and said, don't piss off Bud Selig. And Clinton's like, what? Why? He's like, you have no idea how much pull these commissioners have with these major league sports. You don't know how much money they have, how many yeah. how many people they control that camp that do budget, you know, campaign financing, all that kind of stuff. Careful, right? So, again, if unless until we read that fifteen hundred page report, all we're going off of is a, a four paragraph article about radiation pregnancies and a lot of psychophilbin, you know, stuff going on. But again, I'm going to kind of side, and I said this before in the last alien talk. I'm going to kind of side with uh, Colonel Nightingale here and say that, yeah, there, there's, but there might be some things out there. All right, but and then you got Joe saying, I got to see it to believe it, and I'm saying, Joe, come down to El Paso, homie. Come out to uh, the desert in Arizona and in New Mexico. There's all kinds of weird. You'll see shit. some Jeff, shit. Je- yeah. Jeff Bezos got stuff flying in the screen. Sky does like a giant penis. Like 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 what? What is that going up? So there's all there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. But Mark I in the think- chat says, "Could we get to the real issues about these aliens? What kind of exotic genitalia can we expect?" Right? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, where is yeah, the you got a point, Mark. <laughs> Mark? I like Mark. Yeah, yeah I mean, Mark's, Mark's are a they, good dude. Are, are the aliens strapped? Do we need to be jealous? Do we need yeah. to be worried as guys, or or can we kind of like let them hit on a couple of girls because they're not they're not going to be too impressed? Apparently, like, like, no, they're not hitting on anybody. They're they're just they're abducting and raping. No, Come again, on. that's yeah. what. No, no, that's when the pregnant like girl comes back and rape, says man. it was an accident right yeah slipped yeah slipped, slipped they on, his, on an yeah. alien's dick yeah. <laughs> yeah i bet they got all kinds of weird freebies yeah and i, I mean this technology is, this is to get here I'm real quality sure. stuff but i'm sure it's going to get more quality with buddy and his and his honesty cat for yeah. the day mm. oh so, it's my and, turn oh it here is. we go yeah all right so uh today's honesty cat is uh is brought to you by the yale of the southwest and the harvard of the southeast so so the honesty cap is uh, it's not really that uh, not really that comical today because it's, it's I think it's a, a legitimate thing, especially for guys that come into the military is uh, enlisted guys and they join right out of high school or or don't go to college and they join the uh, the military. I was one of those, and uh, and every time I've, I've I you know I just started going back to school and. You know, I've been to dive school, ranger school, halo school, all the all the cool Jedi master movies. school, Jedi ninja school, all that ninja, stuff. And, I was going to say and, ninja school. You can't talk about while, that. While while I was a little bit nervous to go to all of those schools, I think the most nervous that I have ever been to start a a school was to start going to college. Stop. I'm telling you, it was a hundred percent. I was the most nervous about that because I figured that everyone else there was so much smarter than I was because I was just some 
some enlisted guy that joined the army, didn't go to college, just did my thing. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get here. There's going to be all these kids. They're going to be super smart, this, that, and the other. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> in reality, that is not the case. If you got out of the army and, and you're worried about going to college because you think that you might be the idiot in the room, not only are you not the idiot in the room, but generally from what I have seen, like I'm not a smart person as, as we can all probably attest to. No, you are 100% a smart so person. You're not Mark in the chat person. again says he felt the but same I way. But I know what love school. is. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, had like I, said, I, uh, I am not the smartest person in almost any room until I go into a college classroom. These people <laughs> are so behind the power curve when it comes to like meeting time schedules and getting work done that the teacher literally tells you exactly the format that you have to use. You can get on the computer and just go through the format and get it done just like any other memo that you had to do in the army or anything else. Super easy. It tells you what to do. And the, the, the civilian kids that are there are having a lot of trouble with it. None of the people that I've seen that are veterans or have been in the Army or in the Navy or the Marines, because I have a, an Air Force and Navy guy and a, I think a, another a Marine that's in the class too. Um, but none of them are having the same issues because they just do the format that they're told to do and they don't try to church it up or do anything else crazy. So my my honesty cap moment of the of this week was just realizing that I was nervous about competing with a bunch of people scholastically that I should not have been nervous about, um, and that that there are probably a lot of people who have the same the same issues. And just you know, if you're feeling that way, take a class. It's uh, it's comical, and you're not as dumb as you think you are. So. There you That's go, good, buddy. There I you like go. That. Yeah, buddy, that was good. Uh, I, I, I uh, like how you were trying to stay humble, right? But I, I think he did throw in his little, uh, you know, pat me on the back courses, his little ERB, you know, that he has. Because all of us, we do know that Buddy's not stupid. All right, so like uh, you don't, you don't pass Ranger School, Scuba School, Halo School, being dumb. I don't right? know any. Now you could be uneducated as far uh, as you know. Just, True. as far as civilian terms are because you haven't been to college sure but you're not stupid that's one uh and then the other thing too is i was on the other side of that bell curve when i came in the military you know i had some college you know i played college sports yada 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 you were came in driver. here and but no but guess who my guess who my guess who my first platoon sergeant was was it the zinger deal Oh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, 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 and he's probably watching. And yeah, Deal, we love you, when Deal. I, when really I, when nice. I, when I walked into that office and I heard you talk for the first time as a young E4, I was like, "What the fuck did I get into?" You know, I'm like, "This guy is an idiot," right? Like, <laughs> so, like, I, so there is we both love you, David. sides You're of good, that man. spectrum, you know, where it's like, this guy really can't spell, like he can't do anything you know and so buddy you're not that guy all right you, you above and beyond um i've had uh i well you know what you could say that 
about the spelling thing. I, I also don't spell what I Oh, shit. Travis says Grand Canyon University is the Princeton of the Southwest. So Ooh, now, right. I, now I'm competing uh, right. with, with them. Of the Southwest? Right. He's, he's, he, uh, <laughs> I just he's, it, he's I not. That's okay. This might even kind of segue into to Colonel Nightingale, but you know, you could talk to your computer and it'll type out everything. Yeah, it's beautiful. Are you kidding me? Where was this when I was growing up? Yeah. We didn't have computers, but still. I did a six. I did so that sixteen-page paper. It took me about thirty-five minutes to get the rough draft done because I just talked it, and it, yeah. <laughs> it wrote everything out. Uh, no, it's a, uh, it, it, it's awesome. But no, that's a good. Uh, before we get into the guest, uh, we do have our show called The Fifth Principle, and we've been we've been uh, the Fifth Principle patrolling is what Joe? Huh? Common sense. There you go. Good job, Common Joe. Common sense, Joe. Fifth principle Start pushing patrol. now, Joe. Start pushing right yeah, now. All right. Uh, so <laughs> the, if you don't understand what the five principles are, that's what you used to get graded for us, you know, in ranger school. And like if you, you could do everything right, but if you were a fucking moron, you got a no-go. All right. Like it's just, it, it is what it is. Um, and I'm glad when I was in RI, I didn't have to grade by that because there'd be a lot more. And I did not give it very many goes. And there was... A lot of times where I was like, I can't get this guy to go. He's just too stupid. You know, he did, he did everything by the book, but nobody likes him. Like, it's just, this is going to suck. Uh, but have you see, as you've seen on our pages on Gruntworks and Veteran Trash Talk, the fifth principle is going to go on the road. So Buddy will be in Boston for the launch of the Warrior Ride via the Ultimate Sacrifice Foundation, where we have a guy honoring – the 13 dead amongst other people who were uh, killed in combat as fallen brothers, uh, 3,700 miles on a bike ride from Boston to Coronado, California. And again, it's going to be a tremendous thing to do. It, it needs some donations like all things do. And we're going to talk about that on the next fifth principle about how people attack non nonprofits. That's what we do on veteran trash talk. We bring on nonprofits. We bring on authors. We bring on everybody so that you can see who they are. And they talk. And then if you want to give them money, you give them money, right? And uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, but the fifth principle is going on tour. We will be in Boston, Bloomington, Illinois, Golden, Golden, Colorado, and Coronado, California. Did I miss a city? You know, you mispronounced Boston. It's Boston. Boston. Yeah, Boston. <laughs> yeah, we got to get a, we, we, we got to get Marky Mark. Now, Marky Mark. So now when you. I don't know if he likes being we call like Marky that. Mark whatever you we run want to call him. Marky Mark. Okay, so yeah. the screen makes him hey, but a I'm, lot but bigger, I'm but he's like 5'2". Yeah, so no, that, that, that'll happen. Uh, we were going to talk about that 40 minutes prior to the show, but some people didn't show up. Anyways, um, <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. We, as you see the quiet man on your screen, obviously the smarter one is usually the quiet one. Uh, and we have uh, Colonel... <laughs> We have uh, Colonel Keith Nightingale. Uh, I shared it on Gruntworks, Dave. I don't know if you want to share the link to his bio. Yep, uh, I got gotcha. you. And I mean, it's, it's rare that we get a guest that has done as much as, and has accomplished as much as he has already. Uh, you know, when we had the, we love getting the Vietnam veterans on our show because we started Veteran Trash Talk as our own therapy. 
uh, to where we can talk about our, our war stories and all that kind of stuff and, and reconnect with the brother and sisterhood of combat and, and just service. And we, I didn't realize, we didn't realize at first that we had a huge Vietnam veteran audience. And it was like, man, I, we didn't even think about that because they are forgotten. They are the forgotten right? ones. They are, yep. they, the, the Vietnam veteran is forgotten. And, and I will say it, I am guilty of forgetting about them as well sometimes. You know, all this about awareness to it. Yep. 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 And, and so it's like, and about multiple other things as well. And yep. it's like, no, we need to highlight this more. We need to get more Vietnam veterans on. And we yep. had, a, we had a, a couple of Vietnam, uh, Joe Fair, uh, an author, great book uh, on, on, on Vietnam and his experiences there. Uh, but no, Colonel Nightingale has written two books and one coming out at the end of the month. And he's got a fourth one in his mind. But if you go just, just, just Google uh, Colonel Nightingale, and as he's talking and explaining, just go ahead and give it a shot. Uh, the, but his claim to fame, obviously, before he, all the cool stuff that he did, was he was in the division. All right, he was in not just the, the division, the the eighty second Airborne Division, and not only was he in the eighty second Airborne Division, he was in the Golden Brigade. Not only was he in the Golden Brigade. He was in 2P, all right, which means automatically makes him better than all of you, all right? And so, it, no, like I said, no matter how much cool Say stuff it. you do. Joe, you're right. Say it. Say it. Hands say down. Something. Oh. Say something. Joe will come smack you in the mouth if you have something to say. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> yeah, remember, we always say it. There's only one regiment. There's only one unit. And there's only one division. The rest of you no, are me, just trying to learn about what yes, we got sir. going on. Uh, but no, I, and then again, these the ones, yeah, these guys right here, okay? No yeah. big deal. Yeah, two panther, two panther, hey. boom, boom, boom. So Nick made that for me, guys. I, Nick I made did that for me. I did. Uh, but anyways, if you read his bio, you'll notice that he was part of the Iran-Contra scandal, as they call it. Now, if you look up, like Dave said, you want to talk about a conspiracy. If you look up the transcripts from old Ollie North talking, you know, to Congress, he kept mentioning KN, and nobody knew what KN was. He goes, if KN didn't keep screwing me in Honduras when I was in Costa Rica, this thing would have went off without a hitch, right? So, before you get into everything else, uh, sir, please talk about how you blew that all up and, and everything failed, and then you decided to write books about it. So the floor <laughs> is yours. Welcome to the show. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Thank you. My megalomania knows no bounds. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm in 2P, so it's well-earned, right? Absolutely. Airborne. Hold uh, up. The Iran-Contra thing was kind of interesting. Uh <clears throat> There were two separate entities working it. Uh, where I got involved was in Honduras uh, and working for the agency. And Ollie was doing the same thing in Costa Rica, working through the White House at Admiral Poindexter, who was on the NSC. Uh, my job, among other things, was to set up the eight camps uh, in on the Honduran side. Uh, and keep them watered and supplied and all the kind of other stuff you'd expect uh, from those guys. They used it kind of like the NBA used Cambodia, 
You know, mm -hmm. they'd sail off into Nicaragua, do their thing, and then they'd pull back into yep. Honduras and rest and refit, that kind of deal. Uh, when the uh, bad news uh, hit the press uh, about Iran-Contra and guns for et cetera, et cetera, uh, there was obviously a huge investigation. The White Washington loves to investigate, particularly Congress. Uh, and my side of the uh, aisle, fortunately, came off completely clean because both the ambassador, a guy by the name of Negroponte, really smart guy, uh, and uh, my controller in Washington insisted on meticulous notes about everything. Write it down. Who said this? What did you do? Where did the money go? You know, show me something, blah, blah, blah. So we had like, you know, 20 pounds of documentation on our side of the house. And after the Hill staffers looked at it, they said, hey, there's no there there. But then they found a rich tre treasure trove on the other side, uh, and it all went downhill from there. So that's it. In <laughs> so now I, you're you know, blaming Colonel North. No, no, not, I'm, I'm not blaming him at all. He's a good soldier. Good okay. Marine. All right. uh, knew him well. The issue was <laughs> higher up. Uh, you know, I, as I told you earlier, at one time I was the most investigated guy, officer in the army that hadn't yet been charged. Uh, and the uh, the JAG was certain that I had sequestered millions of bucks in the Cayman Islands because I would go back and forth between uh, the states and Honduras with a great big, literally a big duffel bag full of money, or I'd fly to other <laughs> places with the same duffel bag. And they couldn't understand why, if I had that opportunity, I didn't take advantage of it. Because I think in their own mind, if they had the opportunity, they would have a bank account in the Caymans. Uh, fortunately, I didn't. However, my wife still had to buy diapers and, you know, we had a cheap car. Uh, but that's, you know, the price of doing business. If you drive a Kia Sophia, nobody ever thinks about you as a money launderer. Nope. Yeah. nope. Yeah, so this was a Honda. Yeah. Honda, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Also, we can go back in a little bit further in time and we can uh, talk your Vietnam days, if you don't mind, because like I said, again, the whole point of our show, why it started and now it's evolved into a lot of other things, but uh, why it started was to defeat the stigma uh, that it's, you know, you have to keep it all bottled up and, uh, and then it doesn't do any good for anybody else to hear you. So there's definitely going to be a few Vietnam veterans watching the show. Uh, today because we like I said it's a large portion of our audience uh, they you know talk about what your work was in Vietnam and specifically like we talked about pre-show with uh, South Vietnamese Rangers and how how elite of a force they were if you wouldn't mind sure uh, I had two tours in Vietnam uh, the first was 1967-68 including Tet and at that time, I was an advisor to the Vietnamese Rangers, uh, a 52nd uh, Ranger Battalion in III Corps. Uh, and they were superb troops. You know, the Vietnamese Army gets trashed all the time as being horrible, lazy. You know, they didn't know how to fight. They were all corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. That may have been true for a portion of the Army, but for the so-called elite troops, the Rangers, the Airborne, and the Marines, they were as good as anything we fielded. Uh, and I went to language school and I was immersed with them. 
So you got a totally different viewpoint of Vietnam than if you went in as a U.S. soldier in a U.S. unit, because you never really mixed with them. You saw the worst of their society and not the best. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, 24th of June, 1967, uh, we had about 450 Rangers. We landed at this uh, LZ way up in what was called War Zone D, about 80 miles north of Saigon. Uh, we ran into the better part of two main force regiments. We were supposed to find a company location. Uh, it got bigger than that in a hurry. It was really an ambush. <laughs> two regiments now. <laughs> uh, we went in, like I said, with 450 troops. I came back to that same LZ about 10 o'clock the following morning. I counted 32 people left in the perimeter. Uh, these were extraordinarily good troops that never got credit for it. Uh, my second tour was with the 101st. I was a rifle company commander, Delta 1st 50 Deuce, uh, 70-71. Screaming Eagles. Yeah. Including well, They were airborne then, so. They were. They were, they were actually different. still legitimately airborne. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also a totally different unit. You know, people say, well, you know, what was Vietnam like? Uh, and the answer is, you know, we fought the war for 10 years, one year at a time. Uh, everything depended on the unit you were in, where you were at, and what time you were there, because it changed all the time. Sounds so familiar. Each person has yep. a little microcosm of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, with two tours, I had a chance to see two different armies. Uh, the first one, like I said, in 67, 68, we did a lot of operations with the 11th Cav and the 173rd in the 25th Division. That was a draftee army, and they were superb, real professional troops. You could give a E3 an order, and he'd figure it out and take the initiative and go do it. Uh, they were as, as good as anything, you know, we have today. Uh, wow. Basic army. Uh, my second tour was totally different. Uh, these were the guys that couldn't figure out how to not go to Vietnam. Uh, they were they were not able to be draft dodgers, you know. They couldn't take a trip to Canada. Uh, they dropped out of high school or whatever it was. And if you were a, a standard, you know, U.S. citizen and you looked at the troops in my company, you said, well, these guys are the dregs of society. Bullshit. Uh, they were some of the finest troops we fielded. They were hippies. They were peaceniks. They hated being what they were at, where they were at. But when it came to war, they were really good at it. Hmm. They understood that was survival. Uh, you know, they did all their drugs and alcohol back in Fubai, the base camp. When they got out in the bush, they were basically clean. I was ready for combat. Yeah. in combat. You know, we were in the Asia, and you couldn't screw up because you could run into a regiment just by turning around the corner. So they understood discipline and professionalism was necessary for their survival. Wow. Totally different army. Uh, Interesting. It's amazing how you put that, sir. That is just an amazing take on it and an observation. Like, I think. And, and not to make light of it, a lot. but maybe, yeah. maybe in the bush they were going through a little bit of that withdrawal fury. I mean, that could be a real thing. Like, yeah. You know, well, like, yeah, I'm, I'm it, not going to. I'm not going to catch a bus and then I'm going to take it out on this guy. I'll give you an example. Uh, my very first night. 
with the company in this perimeter way out in the bush. I'm, I'm sleeping and all of a sudden, there's this hellacious screaming going on. I said, what the fuck is going on here? You know, they're going to wake up the entire uh, NVA army and bring it in. And this guy screaming continues. And I get up and it was this guy was having an OD. Oh, uh -oh. And uh, he, he, they couldn't shut him up. And the platoon sergeant just came over and cold cocked him. Wham! Knocked him out completely. Also sounds familiar. And we gagged him. And we evacuated him in the morning. Wow. Uh, so to answer your, you know, you made the comment about ODing. Well, we had one that did. He just, his timing was all screwed up. <laughs> that could have mm. cost the whole platoon's life. Yeah. No, wow. uh, and, and we don't want to make the, There's a, just, we don't want to make the, well, the go ahead, what? Joe. No, I was saying just the, uh, um, no one could get him to shut up. And so somebody had to come tag him. It, it sounded familiar, didn't it, Dave? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, Anderson, I know it didn't yeah. happen to you personally. I'm saying, but we were all there. Yeah, we used to, the wood line had was somebody thing back had in the somebody day. drink yeah. a little more than they could handle enough. Yeah. Well, had yeah. to get to had to get put to sleep with the right hand. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta Go understand ahead, at that point in Vietnam, you could get virtually a hundred percent pure heroin. And wow. the guy, the guys would put it in so the natural LSA oh. thing you got oh, in your body or M16. And you know, that stuff would kill you. Uh, it was not at all unusual to have uh guys go you know od out of existence when they got back to kubai i mean there was a lot of we always see it in the movies and stuff but you being over there when it comes to the drugs and smoking marijuana and all that it was just was it like what were the punishments i mean what did it look like well, nobody was know, getting really drug tested you know what i'm saying sir like you were on the ground and you, you always hear about it. i've had you you segue into the destruction of the army yeah uh, i'll yeah. say first of all yeah, there were some units that were kind of perpetually bad. Mm -hmm. I won't mention their name because they'll feel bad if they're in the audience. But there were some units that were always known as a unit you didn't want to be assigned to. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is where they had all the racial strife, the fragging, the drugs, and everything. And really familiar officers, again, still. The officers were scared to death. They didn't know what to do. They were under a lot of pressure from up above. You know, hey keep it out of the press, don't get us in trouble, you know, right. do whatever you need to do, which basically meant they didn't try to discipline the organization and they just turned a blind eye and ignored it. Right. So basically the inmates took charge of the asylum uh, and that was what destroyed the army. My second no. tour, I had only two people I could trust, two NCOs. Both of them were there, not because they couldn't figure out how to get out, but because they really believed in what they were doing and wanted to stay in. Sergeant Soko and Sergeant Moon, they're my two different platoon sergeants, uh, and they were superb. Everybody else was a shake and bake or a uh, surprise squad leader, uh, and that's what you had to deal with. Worst example, uh, we got into a firefight. I got a new lieutenant in. Uh, and we're doing our thing and wandering around and all of a sudden we get in this big firefight and everybody, you know, all the stuff's going off and I'm running out and I see this lieutenant, he is hiding behind a tree. I'm up there trying to get his platoon organized and moving along with a platoon sergeant and the lieutenant is literally cowering behind a tree. 
So we go through all this stuff. I ignore. It's scary out there. Yeah. Did he have a map in his hand? I don't know. He, he was just know. basically he was curled up into a ball him. behind a tree. He was scared shitless. Hey, People were trying to kill him. Come on, guys. Let's be kind. And we finally get organized, and I call on the radio to the battalion uh, CP up on the fire base, and I said, I got Lieutenant X here. He's a complete coward. He is totally incapable. I want him out of here. Pause. Wait out. Battalion commander comes on the line, and he says, Captain, you got a problem. You deal with it. Out. Well, you know, that's what we mm. had to deal with. Wow. Yeah. No, and, and, and it's changed. And how do you deal with that? Go ahead, Nick. It's it's how I dealt with it. You know, you, you got to deal with it. So what I did, uh, I just put point. the company CP in that platoon. Right. So, you know, I became the platoon leader and the company commander. Right. Mm. And then we, we've seen that before. And like I said, a lot of this, uh, I don't want, I'm not going to do any disservice and say it's the same or anything like that. So I'm not, I'm not doing that, but we were in a very kinetic environment in Samara, Iraq. Uh, we've talked about it before and, you know, a lot of the things you're talking about, about how you see the good units and you see the, the good in the Iraqi nationals that were actually fighting. And then like when we had the special forces guys bring down the brigade from the North, those guys were trained. They were professional. They fought. Yep, and yep. then you have, they you know, probably saved our lives at right? the time and, because you know, we were pulling 20 on four off. Right. And then you had, you know, some of the other Iraqi units that were just bad. Uh, but that's, that's neither here or there. But what I was going to get at was, like you said, how it destroys the army and, and how it destroyed like the, the drugs and all and the bad units. It's still like that today, which is why people don't understand guys from the 82nd have a chip on their shoulder. Guys from regiment have a chip on their shoulder. Guys in special forces groups, they look at you differently. All right. And you have to earn their trust and, and their respect. When you see a guy from the 82nd with two rockers, Right or the guy from the eighty second with an oak leaf, all right. He is he is looking into your soul, all right, and he wants to know: Are you going to be there when I need you? Right? Are you going to be disciplined enough to fight when I need you? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, for those of you, we have our fun arguments on our page. It's a blast with the other units and stuff like that. But that's where that comes from. You see all these problems in Fort Hood. All right. Yeah. Like, like Fort Hood's a cancer. Right. And, and it spreads like wildfire. So it's, and it's what, a constant issue over there. And again, like Constantly. I said, my, my recommendation and it is contagious. If the, if the army really cared about Fort Hood, all right, they would send a brigade from the 82nd there. They tried that. They yeah. Major from makes, the 82nd. The he point. got fired before. Yeah, Burgoyne got fired for saying yeah. you suck. But yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, it, it but, makes the point about what makes an army, and the answer is a non commissioned officer. Uh, yes, sir. Correct. Squad leader on up. If you don't have an NCO corps, you don't have an army. You just got to rabble. The officers, officers can't do what needs to be fixed at Fort Campbell or, you, uh, excuse me, at Fort Hood or Fort Fumble or wherever if they got these sort of latent internal problems. 
it can only be fixed within the core itself. Right. And, and that's what got destroyed in Vietnam was the NCO core. Right. We and started but it, 175, among other things, specifically to redevelop the NCO core in the army base. Now, the idea at the time was that we come up with a model battalion, the NCOs and the enlisted would figure out what makes a unit good, and then they'd migrate to the rest of the army and make it better. Uh, for the first few years, that was correct. Now they're sort of standalone, but we've got a much better NCO core in the army as a whole. You know, you look at what's happening in the Ukraine. The Ukrainians actually have a pretty good NCO core because they've been undergoing training from NATO and the U.S. and all these other units. They've been de-Russified, if you would. The Russians are having their clock cleaned to, uh, to them because they, they haven't figured out how to work it at the small unit level. Uh, you know, they may have some great thinkers at the general officer, but that's not worth a damn when you're on this narrow little road into Kiev. I mean, all the decisions they're making over there, logistics, everything is just messed up. But messed it, up. It, it, you look at the videos, like, like the yep. videos of the tanks that are coming out of there, like where they go and they get a tank. They're running out of gas, buddy. <laughs> like, it's not just oh, that, that, that happens to some of the best the armies, too. But they're getting beat. The they're Russians, getting beat. Yeah. yeah but the Russians are also like, it's fine for them. Like, if you're a tank commander and you own a tank, you just drive around the battlefield and go wherever. Well, of course, you can't find gas because they can't find you to get you gas. A and B, there's nobody else around you to help you. It's, I don't know, the Russians, uh, they're, it's, a it's a logistical they're still nightmare. doing some World War II. <laughs> You would think that it would already be over, but not to get into the Ukraine business because these Vietnam stories are amazing, sir. No, yeah, can you they, talk they, about, sir, can you talk about briefly, and we've spoken to the Vietnam vets that we've had on in the past, you know, what it felt like returning from Vietnam. You know, I, I harp on this a lot because we always say our Vietnam vets are the forgotten ones. Because um, when you guys came back compared to when we came back, whole different story. You know, people were applauding us, parades, everything. We ain't getting no parade yet, but we're building And hey, what parade are you talking about? Heroes yeah, Ladder, on. Heroes Ladder yeah. 22 is going to be a parade for Vietnam veterans in past yeah. because yeah. nobody, except for the, the Gulf War guys, sir, what, was, they got what was, you know, because you were obviously committed doing your thing as a company commander, you know, um, really involved in the mission and everything. What, how did that affect you mentally, well, if you'd like to speak about it? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was really back. bad. Uh, between Vietnam tours, I was assigned as an ROTC instructor in California. And, you know, we, Oh, yeah, was I was, you might you might have uh, you might have had a better experience in Vietnam, like just going uh, back. You know, when, of California. When we were in Vietnam. You know, you, you read about the riots and the draft card burnings and Jane Fonda and all that stuff, but it didn't really strike you because hey, I'm eight thousand miles away. When you land at the airport and people are yelling at you, and worse yet, when I went to the you know the college area, Southern California. <laughs> You had all these students running around, you know, telling me how to how to run the war and get out of the war, and I'm bayoneting babies and all this other stuff. Babies make here's noise. This, here's this 18-year-old kid, you know, drooling at the mouth with his hair all out, you know, wearing his Harry Krishna clothes, telling me how foxtrot uniform I am. You know, that struck home. Mm. What it did is it isolated my family. Uh, you know, I had a wife and uh, two kids. And, you know, we didn't really mix in society because it wasn't worth explaining what I do or why. Uh, you know, it's, 
it drove, I think, anybody that came back into a, quite a deal of, of, you know, bitterness, regret, fill in the blank, uh, because they thought they were going over there for something good. Yep. And yep. they come back and suddenly they're told, no, you went over there for something horrible. Uh, I can tell you, I would not have traded either experience in Vietnam for anything else. Uh, I felt it was completely honorable. Uh, we were doing the right thing. The very senior leadership, LBJ, McNamara, et cetera, uh, totally screwed over the troops. Uh, and that was beyond our capability to manage it. And you could only deal with what you got. Uh, so from my level, uh, I was completely happy with our service in Vietnam. Coming right. back was a totally different thing. And then, and then just to, just to continue on that sort of a mental health, obviously, you know, cause that, that is a big portion of our show shell shock or Vietnam stress, but there really wasn't any help for you guys. I mean, I, I think the military is doing a lot better nowadays, you know, but yeah. the, the help that you guys received some, I, I forgot which Vietnam that it was, but you just came back and you were just thrown back into society. You know, no, Bob, it was and Bob Wingo. Was it Bob? Yeah. Bob Wingo we had, who's yeah. a very successful entrepreneur marketer, you know, a black guy coming, an enlisted black guy coming from Vietnam, came home, right? And it was like, all he wanted to do was get as far away from his uniform as he could. Yeah. Because it was just, and then he worked for two presidents you know, in his lifetime after that. Super still, successful guy. Super yeah. successful. And he didn't even realize that he was entitled to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Wounded warrior benefits to all these other things because he was just a poof gone. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. you know, that was the way it was. You can, you go back to World War II. There was a tremendous amount of World War II vets that had what we would call today PTSD. Yes, sir. Uh, rightfully earned. And they turned to alcohol primarily or some aberrant behavior. And everybody said, well, you're screwed up. You know, the war screwed you up. And, you know, therefore you're, uh, you're wrong in how you conduct yourself. You got to straighten up, get right. And totally ignored. Uh, Vietnam was the same thing. They yep. didn't recognize Agent Orange as being an issue. They didn't recognize that stress, PTSD is an issue. Uh, and the troops did the same thing after Vietnam, just the same as they did after uh, World War II. They went into drugs, they went into alcohol, they became uh, aberrant from society standards, fill in the blanks, because people didn't understand what they had went through, and they couldn't articulate it in a way that would get support. Right. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, some of the smart folks got involved and did come up with PTSD as an issue yep. and did come up with stress management and recognition. And it's now a much greater part of, you know, the military than it used to be. We got shrinks everywhere in the military now. We do. Uh, we got doctors that actually pay attention to people's behavior. You go with any one of the tier one units or in some cases tier two, they're shrinks all the time looking at the operators. Uh, to mm -hmm. check for aberrant behavior and make sure that they're still where they're supposed to be, you know, within their playing field. Uh, and as soon as somebody indicates that they're going maybe a little off to the left, they get jerked out and given a rest. Uh, if uh, if y'all, everybody's, of course, seen the Band of Brothers. 
Yes, sir. One of the great things about that is I saw for the first time in film how units handle stress at the small unit level. You may recall a point uh, in the Bastogne area where Buck Compton finally just kind of crumped. Mm-hmm. Now, he mm-hmm. was one of the stalwarts from day one. And all of a sudden, it just, you know, bleh, didn't know what to do. Winters goes over to him and says, stay in your foxhole. You're not going on the patrol. Gave him a blanket and told him to get some sleep. And that's what Compton needed. That was the unit dealing with the stress that it was the combat imposed on. And that's how virtually all units handled it either well or not well. One of the things I, that I really appreciated in my Normandy stuff was I had a lot of opportunities to talk to Dick Winters and a lot of the vets. Uh, wow. Course in, in both the 82nd. Hey, wait for the for the audience. Uh, just so you know, if you haven't read his bio or anything like that, he went to Normandy. Uh, I forget the year because I don't have it in front of me. 1977. First, and, right, time. and that was the first time I think that you had those veterans there, like the actual veterans right. there all together doing a doing a ceremony. So for the for the audience watching, that's what he's talking about. So, sir, go ahead with the, the Normandy experience. But yeah, I, I was saying that I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of the vets at all levels, you know, corporals through captains and field marshals and sergeants and all that. And with winners also in his originals, they gave me and General Vines a private tour of Breckert Manor, the scene in Band of Brothers where they blow up the artillery, that thing. And they actually took us there and walked us through it. And I was talking to uh, Malarkey on the way back across the field and said, hey. Jesus, this is crazy. That's the reason I joined the Army, sir. That's why I keep making these noises over here when I saw that. So, like, I know it word for word. It's just crazy that you were with those guys. I'd have paid to have been there. So I'm walking across the field with Malarkey, and I say, what was it about winters that was so special about him that – caused him to have such loyalty amongst all of you and your belief in him as a leader. And he said, well, you know, there's basically three things. Number one, he never did anything stupid. And you consider it, that's pretty important if you're a company commander in combat. (laughs) Number two, he was always part of us, but he never lost his position. Mm. Uh, They knew that he would always be there for him check their six o'clock and handle the problems inside the organization rather than try to put it out. Uh, And the last thing was that they always knew if he was in charge, they had a reasonable job, a reasonable probability of coming back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, those were the three. Those are pretty important. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I've said this to some to some people, they kind of look at me like a stunned mullet. Well, I don't understand. But every time I've mentioned that to the soldiers, the lights come mm-hmm. on and they understand. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, because, yeah, wow. you, you know, the, 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 those of us that were lucky have a great officer in our memory bank that emulates those qualities. And for me, it was Gultry. And what I can say as just a lower enlisted is he made you want to do it. Yeah, you know he 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 made he made you want to do a good job for him because you respected him. The good officers will create an atmosphere where everybody has buy into what they're doing. 
Of course. It's not the captain's yeah. deal. It's my deal. And, you know, I got to vote. I'm part of the organization. And I'm going to get this done because I really believe in it. Right. Uh, and that, that branches down. the most important. Yeah. That branches down to, like, what, why you go, why anybody who wants to be a leader in the Army should go to Ranger School is because that's what they teach you. And then I would I would brief the young lieutenants as an RI saying, now look, you're you whatever platoon you get, all right, you might get lucky and have a really awesome platoon sergeant with some squared away squad leaders. But chances are you're gonna have two good squad leaders and maybe a good platoon sergeant. Like that's probably what you're gonna get. And I was like, so it's your job to make sure that those squad leaders understand that they're the ones that are supposed to come up with the route. You know, they're the ones that are supposed to come up with the direct fire control measures. They're the ones that are supposed to say, hey, this is how long it's going to take us. That gets them the buy-in, like you're talking about. And then, again, like you said, like what Dick Winters said was, or sorry, Malarkey said about Dick Winters is, is that he never lost his position. So I was like, if that's your job, I told him, I go, if you ever want to be a successful company commander, as a lieutenant, as a PL, learn to get your guys to feel like they're the ones that came idea with the plan, yeah. right? And then as long as they know the end state, then they can go execute it without you. Yeah. They don't even By need you. By the way, I'll interject oh, yeah. and say that is the most important thing. Yeah. You know, combat is chaos. There's no officer leader that can actually make the ultimate decision at the point of conflict. It's going to be a couple of PFCs and maybe a squad leader who will see the squad immediate leaders and team leaders and execute there because yep. they know what the big picture is. They can do the small picture. Uh, if a organization full of officers attempts to be very rigid and over controlling like the Russians we see today, it's going to be a soup sandwich. Uh, the troops have got to understand what they're doing. That means communication on the part of the officers through the NCOs to the troops and everybody kind of in it together. So they got the buy-in. And so when the bullets actually start to fly, everybody knows what really has to be done and they go about doing it. They don't wait for instructions. Uh, right. We see the Ukrainians have been able to figure that out. And the Russians haven't, but that's also the hallmark of those units you mentioned earlier in the U.S. You know, the regimental guys, the 82nd, uh, they understand that. There are very few officer leader problems in either of those units because the troops will run them out or they'll run out themselves. Yep. Well, we talk Back. about buy-in and a lot of those Russian troops are definitely not bought into the situation over there. If you talk about some of them that were captured and everything, they don't even want to be there. Yeah. They didn't even know uh, that they were going. So, you know? so let's get into, if you don't mind, if you got some time, sir, because uh, this is a great conversation and uh, a lot of good chat on the thread on Gruntworks, uh, more to each other, uh, not necessarily for the show, but like I said, we're, we're getting some, a lot of interactions on the thread. But um, so Buddy is a special forces guy, right? And so he pretty much has to walk around and hold your pocket because if I read your bio correctly, you were the one that was able to get the budget for SOCOM after the Iran, uh, the the uh, the hostage rescue that didn't go right. You, uh, we had to create a SOCOM, correct? 
that's correct uh, yeah. in part. Uh, yeah. Understanding that. Oh, yeah. Listen up, buddy. Listen up, buddy. Immediately after uh, the failure, two days later, uh, the chairman brought us all into a small room in the Pentagon. It's probably about 25 of us, the JTF staff plus uh, the. Uh, this joint task force for the civilians watching. Correct. Eagle, the Eagle job, Task Force. Well, that's they, they bought that. Uh, and we had uh, the service chiefs there and uh, one of their action officers. And he said, okay, clean slate. Uh, we have to be prepared to go back into Iran within 10 days notice. And it'll be in extremis. We may lose some hostages, but we're going to get what we can get and get out. Now, the president has said there are no boundaries here. Write down on a piece of paper what you need to make this work. No restrictions, no politics. Figure out what you need in the way of assets and resources, and we're going to put this together. General Vaught, you're going to be in charge, and you may have to do it again 10 days from now. So that became what was called Project Honey Badger, uh, and that was the start of everything you see today. Mm. Uh, there was no budget because the way that the system works, of course, you only have a budget once a year. So we started with zero, but we grew in a space of about eight months, uh, the beginning of Joint Special Operations Command, Task Force 160. Uh, the Rangers are uh, now embedded completely as part of the operation, the Air Force for, uh, First Special Operations Wing, uh, the, the fly types, the ACs and the MC-130s. Uh, we created SEAL Team 6 with Dick Marcinko. Uh, and we had something called FOG, the Field Operations Group, which was now ISA, Secret Army of Northern Virginia, all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> and that was because the biggest failure we had, among other things, was both transportation and intelligence. General Meyer said he is never going to have any army force go against an objective that we don't have verifiable, credible army eyes on it. And that was the growth. That was why uh, FOG was formed, because we had to have an intelligence organization and a deployed support organization. Uh, Delta I love that was, name, FOG. <laughs> Delta Go ahead, was too sir. small to do all that stuff. We didn't want him to do it. You know, you, you don't want, uh, you know, very talented people have to worry about, you know, support and logistics and all that stuff. You want to get them where they need to go and keep them fed or move them in reliable aviation. Uh, you know, the Task Force 160 side of the house. And so in the space of like eight months, we went from zero uh, I ran the budget. I had $185 million to start with. And then each service probably coughed up an additional 50 million plus. Uh, the Army and the Air Force having the largest requirement because the Army had to create Task Force 160 mm -hmm. out of the Aviation Brigade of the 101st and then backfill. Uh, new helicopters so that we could take their helicopters and make them MH capable, you know, the NVG uh, instrumentation, special engine stuff, refueling and all that. And the Air Force had to buy some new MC and AC-130s. 
so that was a huge exponential leap from where we were. We had 32 people in the whole Iran Rescue Task Force from General Vaught on down. Uh, now you look at Joint Special Operations Command, they probably got 3,000 civilians outside of what's, what, the off, what the uniforms are. So you see there's been a huge growth, but it all, was a, all came about what you see took down bin Laden and uh, creation of U.S. SOCOM as a direct outgrowth of the failure of the Iran rescue. Right. I'm satisfied. That well, yeah, I think you just we, should say thank you real quick. Thank you You're very muted. much. You're muted, buddy. Hey, uh, hold on. There we go. I, I actually understand what SOCOM is as opposed to you, you, uh, you conventional fellas that, uh, <laughs> that don't. Um, he also knows so the best thing to order the, from the, coffee the bean. That, the, the thing that is it's pretty interesting, it's just, but I don't know if you guys are, are tracking that the, that the reason that, uh, well, from what I've read, that wasn't there. Like, oh, you can uh, ask him. He was there. He was part of the mission. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, they say that the reason that it uh, that the, the rescue mission ended up being a failure was because the Army spoke a different language, basically, than the, than Navy. the, than the Navy. And uh, you know, it, it, it was just the crosstalk and who was in charge and all that stuff. And that's what uh, so that's bullshit. Took over. Oh, <laughs> so, so what you read was bullshit. Yeah, he's uh, he from Alabama. I mean, we that, don't know if you could actually there. read. I read you know? it. I didn't <laughs> it. Yeah, I read that. I read the same thing, buddy. I did. Yeah, like, yeah. That the Navy, the Navy screwed it up. The Army screwed it up. The Navy pilots wanted it in, and it was too late. The communication was off. Yeah, yeah. All kinds of stuff. So, yeah, sir, what 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 happened? Uh, the helicopters didn't fly. Uh, and <laughs> let me give you, I'm, I'm going to answer True. your question with one of my long answers. Uh, Perfect. Number one is the joint task force that actually ran the rescue, understood each other very well, had trained to uh, multiple, multiple times together. The Navy guys, the Air Force guys, the Army guys, Delta rangers etc we rehearsed ourselves to death there was no problem internally within the task force in terms of communication the issue the long pole in the tent all the time general vaught identified it like within the first three days of our planning was the helicopters they've got to be able to fly for eight hours that's asking a lot out of a minesweeper helicopter that you know normally goes out for an hour, sticks its sonar buoy in the water and comes back and has ice cream. Uh, that's not the way we had to run the war. And mandatory naps. Yeah. So what we did, what General Vaught did through Colonel Pittman, Marine Aviator Helicopter Guy 06, uh, tasked the Navy to fly increasingly long legs of those RH-53s that we knew were gonna be used. We actually trained with that squadron initially out at Yuma. Then they deployed uh, on the Nimitz and went out to the Gulf. They knew what was going on, what the deal was. Uh, and the mission that they had was to fly increasingly long legs. So by the time the mission came down, each of those birds would have about eight hours. Uh, complete uninterrupted flying time on it. And that's the plan that Sikorsky aircraft get, uh, gave to us, Sikorsky helicopters. We had all the smart guys from Sikorsky. We had the Navy 
aviation guys, the Army aviation guys, they all got together and worked this stuff out. We took apart every single bird. Uh, the Sikorsky crews did, the Marine crews did, and then the Navy crews did to check each one of them. Uh, Pittman goes out there uh, in January and sees they haven't flown over an hour and a half. What's the deal? And so the Admiral says, oh, Mia culpa, I'm sorry, we'll do better, blah, blah. Pittman comes out at the end of February. Nobody's flown it more than an hour and a half. What's mm. the deal here? Uh, and finally, this creates a very strong message from the chairman to Sink Pack, Commander-in-Chief Pacific Fleet, Admiral Foley, who's responsible at that time, there was no CENTCOM uh, for the fleet and says, you will fly these long hours. And Foley sends a message back, Roger that, we'll do that. Well, Pittman shows up with the crew uh, in, on uh, early April, we're gonna run the mission. I think it was the 19th he got on the carrier and they hadn't flown anything. He gets on the phone and calls Vaught, who's at Wadikina now and says, sir, they haven't flown these legs. What are we gonna do? Well, oh. we don't have any choice. We're going to fly with what we got. Well, the whole point of this stressing was that we all knew helicopters are delicate and they're all very individualistic. So you fly the helicopter to see where its stress points are. Yep. Yep. You know, does the hydraulic got a problem? Does the BIM light have a problem? Does this have a problem? Whatever. The more you fly them, the more they indicate their stress. We changed every single half-life part Hmm. those helicopters uh and i am convinced to this day that had the helicopters been flown as the navy was tasked to do that we would not have had those two broken birds at desert one that's the end of my sermon wow hmm. yeah uh, so where did where did that where did that come from the the miscommunication part then uh the miscommunication was okay this is conjecture you have to understand the Holloway Commission was designed to cover the Navy's ass. Remember, mm -hmm. Admiral Holloway's in charge. None of the service chiefs, with the exception of General Meyer, wanted special ops. They all hated it. They thought it was high risk, low payoff, loose cannons on a deck, etc. So they didn't want anything to do with this, and they wanted to squash the bug. Well, the embarrassment was such that they couldn't squash the bug but they could at least try to keep it in a box and that's oh. he made JSOC so small it couldn't do anything they had like mm. 75 people in the first headquarters uh they didn't mention anything if you notice about the helicopter failure even though everybody internally understood that was the key issue uh they called Colonel Pittman in to, uh, for testimony, but gave him very carefully worded uh, questions so that it did not segue into the helicopter profile flights. I made the mistake the day after the rescue, I was in the Pentagon when this Navy organization came in to see what the Navy side of the story was. And I mentioned, well, you guys had a problem here with flying the profiles. Well, that immediately made me PNG. I was too stupid. I said something. Uh, so they never called me. And by the way, they never called General Vaught. If you can believe this, 
an investigation of a rescue operation and they don't call the guy that's in charge. And they did that specifically so that he could not outline what the problems were as he saw it and he knew. Um, that's wild. Uh, but cheers to the that's crazy. <laughs> cheers to the cheers to the service members uh, of that mission that we're talking about as well. Uh, you know, they again they they believed in what they were doing. They believed that they were about to go do something, and you know, someone's pride got in the way. Uh, and it and uh, but then again, before we Monday morning quarterback it, which we've had plenty of time, and obviously we have a primary source here. But uh, you know, it's a lot of times, sometimes bad shit happens, right? And this isn't necessarily one of them, but it's like, you know, that's how that survivor's guilt. And then the, you know, what could I have done different? And I, we brought this up on the page earlier, uh, earlier in the week about survivor's guilt. That's what you kind of reminded me of about how you were involved with this mission. It didn't go well, obviously, complete failure. Um, but we did learn from it. Well, and... yeah, my point is that had we succeeded, knowing the attitude of the service chiefs, less General Meyer, they'd have thrown it all out, got rid of it, and wanted nothing to do with yep. it. Yep. The failure grew everything that got us to bin Laden and all the other good stuff that we've done lately. Uh, so, you know, I anybody that was in the rescue is responsible for whacking bin Laden. So I think that's a... That's a great way to look at it. That's a yeah. great way to yeah. look at it. And so those of you watching, because again, sir, again, we have a large audience. Uh, and so a lot of people always bring up that survivor's guilt, right? Those operators lost their lives. Those pilots lost their lives, all right? And yeah, could Colonel Nightingale have done something different? Probably not, maybe, you know, but probably not, right? And, but we evolve and we adapt from those. And like he just said, look at what has changed. Look at what has come from that failure. All right, those brave soldiers and airmen and Navy guys, seamen, they lost their lives. But now we have the greatest special operations unit ever probably built. Like ever, you know, and, and continues to adapt, continues to grow. And I, like I would I, be remiss if I didn't mention the importance of Grenada uh, in this arena, uh, another forgotten war, uh, because of the problems that became so public uh, as a result of Grenada, uh, Congress came up and said, you guys can't fix your problem, we're gonna have to fix it for you. And they created US SOCOM with a four star, uh, which the services did not wanna have happen. Uh, they created uh, MFP-11 money so that SOCOM could actually buy stuff for the special operators. Their own mother service didn't want to get them. Uh, they also created the uh, NUN-COIN, the joint operations requirement for officer promotion so that officers and all services had to deal with the other services so they could have an understanding of everybody's mutual capabilities and limitations. So, you know, you had the disaster at Desert One, which started the program, and then you had the great problems with Grenada, which basically laid the fr framework to where we are today. Uh, so you could say two disasters led into what ultimately is a huge success.
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that so much. Uh, and again, I mean, this was pretty much like school for us. We loved it. Uh, the, yeah. I could sit here for hours and just listen. I was spectating yeah. through the whole, especially yeah. through the whole yeah. band of brothers crew. I mean, I, 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 I'd have been starstruck. I wouldn't have known what to say in that room. I'd have probably just shut up and listened. Yeah. Buddy yeah, just let's... sent me a, buddy just yeah. sent me a text about what I was about to get into, uh, yeah. is that the same thing. No, is, yeah. uh, so the two books that you already wrote and the one coming out on the end of this month, month. where can they get these books? Amazon. What, Amazon. Why and then, you have an Amazon account? You have an Amazon account? Or was it set <laughs> up? Because Dave and Chris can set one up. So uh, there, are two, there are two places job, actually, I know you mind. can get them. That was yours you a year ago, Bar Dave. Barnes and Noble. No, that was Joe a year ago. <laughs> or Amazon. Either one of them buy cases. They're great stocking stuffers. And and so what's oh. the what's the book coming out in April about? Uh, it's called uh, the Human Face of Normandy, and what it is, it's uh, call it the battle. It's a battle staff ride uh, with the original vets. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been going there since 1977. Uh, I took the whole 82nd back in 1984 where General Gavin organized all of the original vets to give us the staff rides at each of these key locations. Uh, and the parachute regiment did the same thing for the Brits at Pegasus Bridge and Merville Battery. Anyway, my point in writing the book was to uh, give a sort of give a description of what occurred at each of these locations but do it through the voices of the vets that told me. So I'd say, you know, okay, this is what happened at Lafayette Bridge. And General, General Gavin said this, and Corporal Schmuck said that, and Sergeant Owens said this. So you get the whole picture of what actually happened beyond the cold facts. Uh, you know, every, well, Normandy, big deal, you know, the invasion, and they see all the ships at sea, but it's all a microcosm of what took place in a, you know, hundreds of very small, discrete locations, Breckert Manor being one of them. Uh, you know, I talk about, you know, Winters and what he said and did and uh, the mentality that everybody had at that point. They were completely whacked. They were tired. They didn't want to do it, but they went ahead and did it anyway. And, you know, how they just developed the initiative. And you see the personality that I've tried to display in, in the book that came through the Malarkeys and the Guarnieri's and uh, Gavin's and Vandevort's and uh, Sergeant Hall at Omaha Beach and uh, Silvio Marcucci being flipped in his Higgins boat uh, and just going in with the tide. He's hiding, he's got, he's grasping a, the prop on an upside down Higgins boat. And all it does for four hours is the tide drifts in it's ping, 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 the bullets bouncing off of it. And he Holy said, cow, he dreamed about it night for every night, uh, you know, up to the point that he died was ping, ping, ping. You know, that's sort of the PSD thing we're talking about. But I try to describe wow. all those little human things uh, in the book, you know, how the guys lived on those transport ships going from England to uh, the beaches, the troops sitting in a uh, one of the C-47s looking out of what he saw and the impact that it had on him. Uh, you know, just these tremendous little personal insights that they relayed, that they passed on to me as I went through 
you know, this passage of time. Mm. And I try to capture that because it's so much more important. That's going to be emotional, that. sir. I can like, I get goosebumps. You just, you explain yeah, how this book's going to be and what it's going to be about. Like, wow. It, wow. it really is. It's always emotional for me. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a guy and he said, uh, you know, he was PFC and he's sitting in the uh, plane, taking off C-47, doors are off. Uh, and it's still almost daylight. You know, it's like mm -hmm. not quite 11 o'clock at night and he's flying off. And he looks out the door, he's sitting in a position, so he's looking out the door. And he said, I couldn't believe it. I looked down and all I could see was just a huge mass of ships going toward France. And I looked out and all I could see were airplanes everywhere, 360 degrees up, down. And for the first time, I suddenly understood what I was part of. And it gave me a tremendous sense of confidence. You know, I knew what I was part of and I knew that I was going to succeed in what I was doing. You know, this is a PFC. Wow. Uh, and virtually every vet I talked to that took those plane rides said the same thing. Jeez, that is uh that is phenomenal. So, do you have a website too? I know Nick DeBat asked about where we can get the books, but do you have a website people can follow uh, or a page? I, I write I write a lot of essays on my Facebook page. Okay, and on on LinkedIn, they just look you up by your name on your Facebook page. Yeah, I like that yeah, page this morning. Nine, so yeah. yes, okay, good, good. And then obviously, as soon as a book comes out, we'll we'll post it on our page, and you know. Uh, let everybody know. Got to sell them like hotcakes, man. It's getting close to Normandy. I got to buy a plane ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So now we do our little uh, AAR, as we call it uh, on the show, our little recap. Um, no, sir. We really appreciate you coming on uh, to yep. the Trash Talk Hour. Uh, it's it was an honor for us. I have a buddy of mine who's a command sergeant major in the 101st. He was a regiment guy, old Keith Bach. I'm sure you're watching because uh, he said he was on Facebook. And he's like, how the hell did you land him on your show? And I was like, uh, he was 2P. And he goes, that's right. I go, yeah, that's right. And I was like, a, a, a 2P guy is never going to turn down a, a bunch of other guys, guys. <laughs> yeah. all right so task force rules yeah yes sir yeah ready all right so uh the it's an inside thing no big deal yeah panthers it, baby panthers yeah it was an honor for us to have you on the show uh, and uh I, I guarantee you that you have saved some lives today we always say this uh People watch our show because they want to hear the stories. They want to. They want to connect. I guarantee you that somebody connected with us today. Yep. So that if I save one person, my life is worthwhile. Right, Christian and that's what we say every week. And so Saturday is our therapy. All right. If it saves a life, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's our therapy on Saturdays. Those of you watching, I know that this connected with a couple of you, um, and. I just want to hit that that survivor's guilt again because I've been seeing that a lot on the on the group and on the page. Live your life to honor you know those that died. Live your life to honor them. Make something better so it doesn't happen again. That's what Colonel Nightingale talked about about you know the Iran thing 
and then a grenade thing is we made it better. Okay. Don't do the dumb thing and kill yourself over survivor's guilt. Find a way to make it not happen again. Find a way to make your family stronger. Find a way to make it better. All right. And if you can do that by raising a kid who will be a smarter person, then you've helped the world. All right. You've helped everything. You've made it better by surviving. So please watch our show. Come on our show. Message us. Message any one of us. Our emails are on the page. Message any one of us. Right. We'll get you in the right, the right direction. And again, go get Colonel Nightingale's books. All right. He's got three of them and maybe a fourth on the way. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, sir. You get the last word before Dave closes this out. Uh, life is luck and timing. Nobody should ever think that th if they had done something different, the outcome would have been different. Uh, I don't believe that survivor's guilt uh, is perhaps the right approach simply because in combat, you have no control. Uh, it's very karmic. I learned that very early. You saw the difference between 450 to 32 people right. in the course of 12 hours. Uh, I'm alive by pure chance. I don't feel guilty about it because I had no control. Uh, and I think that's the case with everybody. Uh, you are, you're you're going to get hit or you're not going to get hit. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. Mm. Mm -hmm. The best thing I can say is that if you didn't get hit, and go make yours your life better and make everybody else's life better too you got lucky take advantage of it mm. that beautiful, is awesome sir, sir. Beautiful. thank beautiful. you sir thank you so yeah. much that was awesome it was a, it was an honor having you on um just great episode uh rob in the chat says thank you for your story sir it was an honor to hear especially about grenada love you guys you saved my life daily so obviously it's already impacting everybody and that's what it's all about. But again, I could sit here for hours and listen to you talk about your Vietnam stories and just everything you've done. And I, I'm sure we'll have you on again. I'm sure the boys would agree to bring you on again and, and, and do this again. Uh, to everybody that just tuned in, you guys tuned in late, make sure you go check out our YouTube, Veteran Trash Talk. The entire episode will be uploaded there uh, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcast, all kinds of other places that i have no idea that chris the audio guy does all that stuff and then go check out uh shop.veterantrashtalk.com for all of our merch okay part of our proceeds benefit all kinds of organizations okay and then go check out gruntworksclothing.com as well and part of those proceeds benefit all kinds of organizations as well we gotta we gotta mention it like that we've been you know giving money to stop soldier suicide but we're uh looking at going a different direction here pretty soon so yeah have a great saturday sacrifice. yep We'll see you guys next week. Pleasure Bye. to serve.